Thanks, Gail. As Gail said, my name is John, and I'm the youth director here at Crossroads. So I oversee ministries for students in grades 6 through 12. And today is the first sermon that we're going to be talking about the biblical idea of peace. And I hope I can lay a foundation for this series so that Tom K can come the next two sermons and really knock it out of the park. Um, we are going to be looking at one verse today. This is my dream, one sermon on one verse. I, I've been begging Tom for a sermon like this. And we're going to be looking at the book of Romans. The book of Romans was a letter written by Paul. Paul, we've been learning about his backstory in the book of Acts. He's, his life was completely changed by Jesus. Paul went from a Christian killer, he was killing Christians, and he went from that to becoming someone who's going to be killed for being a Christian. Complete 180. Paul's life was completely transformed by Jesus. And he wrote this letter to the church at Rome, and the objective of the book of Romans is Paul is just systematically, little by little, just explaining what the gospel is. And then the second half of Romans is how it applies to one's life. And the one verse we're going to look at today is maybe 30-ish, 35% of the way into the letter <clears throat> in chapter 5. So we're just going to read chapter 5, verse 1, real fast. It says this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One more time, because it's one verse. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. One verse, but a lot in there. And before we move on with this verse, uh, we have two housekeeping things we need to take care of. And the first thing we need to take care of is that in this verse, there is a textual variant. And I'm pretty sure everyone right now is saying, what is that? If you don't know what a textual variant is, it's okay. No one really does, unless you're a complete Bobber nerd like me and Tom K. So what a textual variant is, is that in the hundreds of hundreds and thousands of copies of the New Testament we have, that there are differences between the ancient manuscripts. That the words, so there are some word differences. There are some sentence structure differences. And that may f kind of freak you out and make you a little bit uneasy. That might make you think, oh, no, I'm, I don't know what the Bible actually says. Take a deep breath. <sighs> That's not what that means. Most of these differences between each copy of the manuscript are just mistakes people are making. And I remember... Um, a uh, long time ago when I was in school, I couldn't just copy and paste stuff when I was writing papers. I had to manually look at the textbook and write it or look at the textbook and type. And if you do that, if you remember doing that when you were younger or right now, you might um, repeat a word or write the same sentence two times in a row or look at the wrong paragraph. And it just these little mistakes happen. But most of these mistakes are just typos. Honestly, 99% of the variants in the ancient documents are just people misspelling a word. They were scribes. They, they're human. They made mistakes. It's okay. Typos happen, especially if you're handwriting the New Testament over and over again. It just happens. 
the typos are like use like the three theirs. They don't change the, really the meaning of the sentence or the theology of the letter. Someone just made a mistake. They wrote the wrong there. And there's my favorite example of this in the language of Spanish is these two different words. And if you study Spanish, you know that papa and papa, but one having the accent mark means two vastly different things. If you don't have the accent mark, it says means potato. If it does, it means father. <laughs> huge difference. Huge difference in the meaning of the word. In ancient Greek, they have lots of accent marks and random lines that can change the meaning of the word. So if you're reading a copy of a manuscript and it says, me and my potato went to the mall yesterday, but that's what this copy says, but these 200 copies say, me and my father went to the mall yesterday, you can kind of say, kind of look at the two and go, oh, they just made a simple mistake. No big deal. Everyone calm down. So those are the most of the differences in the variants in the New Testament. But there are bigger ones where it kind of has some theological um, repercussions for it. And that's what we have in this verse. The verse says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a variant that says, it could mean let us have peace with God. So the difference is we have versus let us. And a bunch of Bible nerds, they get together and they write articles and they you know, have academic fistfights. And every scholar pretty much agrees it's we have peace with God. So if you have an English Bible, it says we have peace. But there's a footnote saying that there's a variant. Again, no big deal. But we have peace with God right now, present tense. We have peace with God. And that's going to be very important as the sermon goes on. So just put that in the back of your head. We have peace with God, present tense, right now. The next piece of housekeeping is that the verse starts with the word, therefore. And when you see therefore in the Bible, that's a transition word. The reason why therefore is there is because it's connecting what it said previous to what's coming up. And we do this today, too. I want to lose weight, therefore I'm going on a diet. I am on a diet, therefore I'm going to order salad. So we, we, we understand that's a transition word. So for us to really understand what the next half of the verse is, which is being justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, we need to understand what comes before this verse. And what comes before this verse is... Paul explaining what being justified by faith is. So it really works out. I'm going to kill two birds with one stone. I'm going to explain the next half of the verse and recap Romans 1 through 4 right now. So I hope I can do my best to do this so we can under, really understand what this peace of God is. So here's what being justified by faith means in Romans 1 through 4. The Bible says that we all know God. We all know he exists. We all know he's there. And we all know what he says is right and wrong. And T, uh, Tom K. said a couple weeks ago that our biggest problem is that we think we are smarter than God. We think we are smarter than the creator of the universe who created everything. We think we're smarter than him. We want to do things our way and not his way. We want to do things our way and not what 
and not the Bible's way. And that's our, our precondition. That is our biggest issue in this life. We want to decide what's right and wrong apart from God. Even um, the Jews, God's chosen people, the people of God before Jesus came, they thought that too. God gave them his law, and they still couldn't follow the law perfectly. And they had the Bible. They tried to follow the law. They couldn't do it because they thought they were smarter than God. So both the Jews and non-Jews were all in the same boat. Same playing field. Everyone's on the same level. All of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and we desperately need Needs, we need God's help because by our very nature, we are sinners. You and me and me especially are sinners. And this idea of our sin nature, the best way to explain it is this cute little bunny rabbit. Hope everyone in Stratford's going, oh, right now. You have the bunny and for dinner, you bring the bunny a plate of carrots and a steak the bunny by its nature is going to go towards the carrots and not the steak. Versus if you bring a plate of carrots and a steak to a lion, the lion by its very nature is going to go towards the steak. Our very nature is that, again, we think we are smarter than God and we want to do things our way and not God's way. And that's just who we are as human beings. We're all born like this and we need God's help. So the question is, how can God save sinners like me? How can God save a really messed up, prideful person who thinks I am the king of the universe, who I think I'm smarter than God? How can God save me? Well, it can't be by following the rules of the Bible. That didn't work for the Jews at the time. So then it can't work for me. And we're only, I'm already stained by sin. We're all stained by sin. If you get ketchup on a white shirt, that's not coming out. Keep washing it and washing it and washing it. The stain's gonna be there. We have all sinned and we are stained by sin. There's nothing we can do about that because all of us are not perfect. And then there's this idea of what is good enough? How good is good enough? Like if today I was like this much good but then tomorrow I'm this bad. Do I need to do this much good to catch up? What if I do like this one good thing, but then this bad thing? Do I need to keep going back and forth, back and forth? You, you can drive yourself insane because there's no bar of standard. The, really, the standard for being good is perfection. And again, especially me, and I know you, you are not perfect. I am not perfect. So how can God save people like me. That's the big question. And that's where justification comes in. And justification is beautiful. If you really understand this and accept it and just grasp your heart around this, I guarantee your life will be completely changed, turned upside down. So justification is a legal term done by a judge in a courtroom. It's a legal term when the judge says to the criminal or the person in trial, says the judge says, you are declared righteous. You are declared righteous. And righteous is like, 
uh, uh, like a churchy word. You might not know what righteous means, but you need to put your mind back to like 1950s, 60s, 70s, like California lingo to understand what righteous means. And I use this as an example with one of the highest schoolers like five years ago, that if someone's on the surfboard and he does like a really cool move and someone goes, yo, righteous, bro. What he's really trying to communicate is, oh, that's a good move. That was awesome on the surfboard. That was good. Righteous means good. That the judge says to the person on trial, you are, I'm declaring you good. I'm declaring you righteous. Righteous and good, same, same thing. And that's what it means, that God declares one righteous. God almost deposits righteousness in you like you would someone wiring you money uh, in your bank account. And that's what happened with Abraham, the first Jewish person ever. He put his faith in God, and the Bible says he was credited righteousness. He would wired in righteousness from God, just the way you would wire money from one bank to another. He was just given righteousness from God based on his faith. And it was because Abraham was a good guy. Abraham was a really messed up person. It was all because of God. God declared him righteous. He gave him God's own righteousness, which sounds great and awesome that God would declare someone good, that God would give someone righteousness. But this leads actually to like a really big problem. And we got to go back to this idea of God being a judge. And let's just use a, um, an earthly example for, for a second. Let's just say um, someone's called, committed a terrible crime, caught red-handed, five people saw this person do it. There's video evidence. Someone was on Facebook Live. Like, this person is, is guilty, completely, completely guilty. Now, going in front of this judge, the issues at hand right now are God's justice and his forgiveness. The Bible says God is perfectly just and fair, but he's also perfectly forgiving and loving. So this person who's caught red-handed, they go before the judge. The judge says, hey, you committed this crime. It is clear that you did it. Here is your punishment. You deserve punishment. Go get punished. We like that. That's just. That's fair. But it doesn't sound very loving and forgiving. Hmm. The Bible says God's both. Okay, let's, let's flip it around then. Because people like that God's loving and that he's forgiving. But let's say we, if we do this example, person caught red-handed again, terrible, terrible crime. Everyone knows this person did it. <clears throat> Evidence, witnesses on Facebook Live doing it. Goes in front of the judge. The judge says, you know, <clears throat> you committed this terrible crime. You are completely guilty. But I'm a very forgiving judge and loving judge. You can go free without punishment. Well, that's not good either. That judge is not a good judge. That is not a just judge. Like, do do you see the problem here? How can God be perfectly just and fair, but loving and forgiving at the same time? Like, this is is an issue, but it's not. The, The answer to the question of how can God justify sinful people like me, is that that is what the cross is all about. God can look 
at me, a sinner, and declare me good, declare me righteous, and that I don't deserve punishment because someone took the punishment for me. And that's what the cross was all about. God sent his son to the world, and Jesus sacrificed his life, taking on God's punishment and anger on sin on the cross. That Jesus on the cross, for those who put their faith in Jesus, all of my sin was put on Jesus on the cross. And then in exchange, by me putting my faith in Jesus, I receive his righteousness. It's the exchange that took place. And Jesus is able to give me his righteousness by me putting my faith in him. Because three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. And by raising Jesus from the dead, that's the way God the Father showed that that sacrifice was validated. It was vindicated. It was, yes, that sacrifice was pleasing in my sight. God's able to give righteousness to the sinner because of what Jesus did on the cross. And through this, Jesus declares those who put their faith in him righteous, and he adopts you now into his family. And the price of your adoption into God's family was the blood of his one and only son. God sees you as righteous and adopted and justified right now. For those who put their faith in Jesus, you, you are declared right and you are adopted and you are a part of God's family. You are a son or daughter in the kingdom of God right now. That's why we have peace. It's right now. Not later on in life. Not once you get to heaven. It's right now. And that's awesome. And that's fantastic. That is the greatest news people like you and me could possibly can possibly hear. Justification, being declared right by God, is right now to those who put their faith in Jesus. And it's all by faith alone. That's it. That's the gospel. That those who put their faith in Jesus, who believe what Jesus did on the cross was for their sins and believe he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death. And Jesus is offered to give you life and life to the full. All you need to do is put your faith in Jesus and that's it. Not faith plus doing a bunch of good stuff. Not faith and oh, I need to stop doing a bunch of bad stuff. No, 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 no. It's just by faith. Because think about this. And this is what really blew my mind when, when I first heard this. If you're saying, I need to have faith plus do something, what you're really saying is that Jesus dying on the cross wasn't good enough. That him rising from the dead wasn't good enough. No, 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 God. You dying for me and you rising from the dead wasn't good enough. I need to do something too. And that's a temptation we all have, but no, no, no. It's all because of Jesus. It's all because of faith in what Jesus did on the cross. That you are not perfect. I am not perfect. That we are not morally perfect when God declares us righteous, but he looks at us as we are righteous and he adopts us 
into his family. And the goal of the Christian life by God sending us his Holy Spirit is to help us and make us more and more like Jesus. That it's always, always, always about Jesus and what he did and not what I did and not what you do. It's always about Jesus. And it's how Jesus looks at us. And those, again, who put their faith in Jesus, God declares you righteous and good and he adopts you into his family. But there's two, there's two temptations with that. <clears throat> it's this idea that I'm justified before God, so now I can do whatever I want. God declares me good. I'm a Christian. I can do whatever I want. And I've had this temptation before, and I think Paul knew this would be a temptation because he talks about this in the very next chapter in Romans. And Paul pretty much says in the next chapter, say, he goes, I'm completely paraphrasing, but Paul pretty much says, hey, if you have this mindset that I'm justified by God, now I can do whatever I want, you need to check your heart and your mind because you don't get it yet. You may not even be a Christian yet. And what I'm asking you to do right now is that I don't know you right now. I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where your mind is. But if you ever had this temptation like I have had in my life, Take some time during this week, pray, think through like why you would think that this. Check your heart and check your mind because this is not the mindset God wants us to have by being justified in him. But then there's kind of the opposite temptation and that is I'm justified before God. Now I don't have to do all this Christian stuff. I don't have to do all this churchy stuff. I don't have to, you know, read the Bible and pray and go to church and care about the, you know, serving the poor and, you know, growing in my faith. I don't have to do all this church Christian stuff. And there's a, there's a very traditional phrase that I hope sticks with you. And the phrase is that you are saved by faith alone in Jesus, but your faith is never alone. I'll say that again. You, you are saved by faith alone, but your faith is never alone. And what that means is very simple, that if you love Jesus you act like you love Jesus. If you, if you call yourself a Christian, that you would act like a Christian, that your faith is not alone, that you would care about the things of God. You would care about learning about God and reading his word, spending time with him in prayer, praying for people in your life that do not know Jesus. You would care about serving the church and the, and the community to reach others, to reach out to those who are poor in spirit and in resources, that if you call yourself a Christian, that you would act like a Christian because we are saved by faith alone, but our faith is, is never alone. And with that, we finally come to peace. We have that foundation now that we have peace with God. And the idea of peace is really completeness, and the Bible kind of uses this word most of the time when it comes to the completeness with a relationship, that there is completeness. And this is the idea that I want to talk about. Let's just say, for example, that you're in the backyard and you're playing, you know, baseball or ball with your kids and they throw, hit the ball, whatever, into the neighbor's window and they break the window. And you're like, oh my goodness. So you go over to the neighbor, knock on the door saying, hey, my kid broke the window, yada, 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 I'm so sorry. Write them a check, give them the money to replace the window, and you think everything's fine between you and your neighbor, but you notice that there's no more 
friendly waves you know, over the fence. Um, they don't make eye contact with you as you guys are taking out the garbage. Um, when moms are pushing the shores and they go by each other, there's no eye contact. They don't acknowledge you at all. They actually skip your house on Halloween trick-or-treating. Like, like, it's just something, it's, there's tension still. Like, I wouldn't say there, there's not, there's still not peace. Even though you paid for the window, you apologized, you even put the new window in yourself, there's, there's still not peace. There's still, there's still not peace. That peace is when the relationship is restored. And that's what happened with God. That our main issue was sin. And Jesus took care of that on the cross. And he gives us, again, life and righteousness by rising from the dead. And now our relationship with God is restored the way it should be. Now there's peace between us and God. That there's nothing holding us back to a full relationship with, with Jesus. And I just, I love this psalm that Paul quotes when he's talking about this in Romans. It's uh, the beginning of Psalm 32. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. I completely love that verse, that verse, because we are made right with God. No matter what happens in life, our mindset should be we are made right with God. Whenever life throws us a curveball, when you get evicted from your apartment and you don't really know where you're going to live, when you're making almost minimum wage and you have a baby on the way and you have no idea how you're going to pay for that for the, for the baby when your car just keeps breaking down and breaking down and you have no idea how you're going to afford a new car when your wife has a miscarriage and you just don't know how to handle that situation when there's a global pandemic that's completely turned life upside down our reaction as Christians is, you know what? This stinks, but do you know that God doesn't count my sins against me? <laughs> hey, this situation really is really terrible, but do you know that God adopted me into his family by dying for me? Do you know he doesn't count my sins against me? That God calls me blessed? That even though I was an enemy of God, even though I was still a sinner, Christ came and he died for me and that he loves me and that he won't ever leave me or forsake me? That is amazing. And that's easier said than done because every example I just gave you has happened to me in my life. And when those terrible things have happened to me, my first gut reaction most of the time was not that, oh, I'm made right with God. It's okay. He's going to help me through it. It was, you know, panic, sadness, depression. But that's why we need to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to be focused on Jesus. We need to be in the Bible, reminding us that we are loved by him and that he won't leave us or forsake us. We need to fix our eyes on Jesus in prayer, and we need to make sure that we're in prayer so we can sense the Holy Spirit's comfort and guidance during those hard times, that we need to fix our eyes on Jesus, as Pastor Tom says all the time. And that when we do that, when we have this peace of God, that when life's going crazy, that we can be good ambassadors or representatives of 
King Jesus. That an ambassador is the person that goes to a foreign country to represent the country, to represent the king. And us having the peace of God, the peace that surpasses all understanding. We can go through life representing Christ well because Christ loved us first. That God is loving. He loved us sinners first, even when we didn't love him. And that should give us such peace and confidence to go through life. And my question to you is, do you really have this peace of Jesus? Have you experienced this peace of Jesus? And all you need to do to get this peace that Jesus will give people is by coming to him in just faith. Coming to him in faith, turning away from your sin, which again, our baseline sin is we think we're smarter than God. Turning away from that mindset saying, God, I need you. I need you for everything. I need you to tell me what's right and wrong. I need you to guide me in all areas of my life. And I come to you and I bow before you as king over my entire life. And those who could do that by faith, you are declared righteous and good. And if you haven't done that, if you need help doing that, take some time during worship to pray. Take some time to find a Christian you know and trust and they can help you talk you through this. But my question to you is, do you have this peace of God, and what are you going to do about it? Jesus, thank you that you give us peace that surpasses understanding. Thank you that you declare us good and righteous before you, even though we are guilty sinners, especially, especially me. But Father God, as we enter this time of worship, I just ask, Father, that your, your spirit of peace will come upon all of us, those right here in this room in Trumbull, those right now in Stratford, and those watching all over the, all over the world, maybe, on YouTube, Facebook, podcast, whatever, that, God, we would just understand and know this love that gives us peace. Amen.